was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You are listening to Outer Brightness, a podcast for post-Mormons who are drawn by God to walk with Jesus rather than turn away. Outer brightness, outer brightness, outer brightness, outer brightness. There's no weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth here, except when Michael's hangry, that is, hangry, that is, hangry, that is. Welcome to this episode of the Outer Brightness Podcast. We were all born and raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, headquartered in Salt Lake City, Utah, more commonly referred to as the Mormon faith. We may use nicknames or abbreviations of the church, such as LDS, Mormon, etc., but not in an attempt to be pejorative or insulting, but as a reflection of our personal experiences as Latter-day Saints, where these terms were used interchangeably in reference to ourselves and or the church. All of us have left that religion and have been drawn to faith in Jesus Christ based on biblical teachings. Some might consider us sons of perdition, the inheritors of outer darkness who supposedly knew the truth and rejected it. The name of our podcast, Outer Brightness, reflects the Gospel of John, chapter 1 in the Bible, specifically verse 9, which calls Jesus the true light, which gives light to everyone. We have found life beyond Mormonism to be brighter than we were told it would be, and the light we have is not our own. It comes to us from without. Thus, Outer Brightness. Making the transition from Mormonism to broader Christianity can be exciting, scary, confusing, challenging, and ultimately life-giving. Our aim here is to share our journeys of faith and what God has done in our lives in drawing us to His Son. We'll have conversations about all aspects of that transition. The fears, challenges, new beliefs, surprises, and joys. We're glad you found us, and we hope you'll stick around. I'm Matthew, the nuclear Calvinist. I'm Michael, the ex-Mormon apologist. I'm Paul Bunyan. Let's get into it. All right. Hey, Fireflies. This episode, we have a really special guest with us, Michael Flournoy. He's here to talk to us about his new book, Falling Into Grace, How an LDS Apologist Stumbled into Christianity. How a Mormon Apologist. Oh, oh. oh got to start up. all over. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, let me get the book so I can read it. Wow, what a novel idea, reading a book. <laughs> all right. Hey, Fireflies. Novel idea. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> all right. Three, two, one. Hey, Fireflies. This week we have a really special guest on our program. We've got Michael Flournoy, who's a recently published author. We're here to talk to him about his new book, Falling Into Grace, How a Mormon Apologist Stumbled Into Christianity. And one thing I wanted to note about this episode, guys, is that this is our 25th episode. Can you believe that? Woo! 25 yeah. episodes! That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Getting up there. So what I'd like to do is ask our listeners, if, if you're enjoying what we're doing here, if it's meaningful to you, give us a rating on iTunes or whatever uh, podcast platform you listen to us on. Uh, a written review would also help. Uh, and tell your friends. Help us get the word out about what's going on here at the Outer Brightness Podcast. Thanks, Fireflies. Awesome. Right. You're, you're like a celebrity now. You've got two podcasts already dedicated to you, going into a third. Yeah, he's like the Justin Bieber of podcasting now. <laughs> I know. I feel bad, though, because I looked at the downloads, and you guys got way more downloads for your story. So I'm like, oh, I don't think people want to hear me blab on and on about my stuff. 
I'm like the, the middle child of the podcast. I don't think that has anything to do with it, actually. I think it probably has more to do with the fact of when we picked up some new listeners and they, they just came in in the middle. Oh, yeah, that might be the case, too. So this isn't the first book you've written. So that book is no longer on the market. If you have a copy like Paul does, you're well positioned for blackmail. But for our listeners who aren't so lucky, tell us about your first book. Why did you write it? Why did you take it off of the market? No, this isn't the first book that I've written. In 2012, I published a book called A Biblical Defense of Mormonism. I wrote that uh, because I wanted to defend the faith from smooth-talking evangelical Christians. I wanted Mormons who didn't know a lot about their faith to have something, a resource that they could look at and be able to stand strong against opposition. And I ended up taking that book off of the market because obviously I no longer believe in the positions that I took in that book. Okay. Uh, did you have any comments about that, Paul, or anything you wanted to add to that? So, Michael, I, I do a fair bit of writing myself, and it's, it's, you know, it's on my bucket list to publish a book. Um, in fact, the series of blog articles that I'm writing now, Dialogues with My Former Self, was initially conceived of as a book idea. I wanted it to be a collection of essays on the LDS Articles of Faith. And at the time, I planned to write them from a believing, even if unorthodox, LDS perspective, because I was still a member of the LDS Church at that time. So we talked in one of our first episodes about the fear of being wrong. And that fear kept me from publishing even blog pieces for a long time. And I have to say that I have a huge amount of respect for you for having actually published a pro-Mormon book and then not only changing your worldview, but publishing a book about your transition. Can you tell us specifically what it's been like for you to put yourself out there to the extent of publishing and then recanting your views? Yeah. I mean, I remember the first the first evening when I went live with a biblical defense of Mormonism, I wanted to go throw up because I was like, oh my goodness, my views are out there. Like anybody can see what I wrote and they can criticize it now. And I'm sure there's a lot of criticism coming. Um, I had no idea that future me was going to put a really negative review on my Amazon account for that book. So I guess I'm one of the critics of that book now. Um, well, but, yeah, that's, that's better than putting a positive review of your own book out there. Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, who does that? Right. Uh <laughs> So over time, you know, I've written a lot of, I've published a lot of articles and things on from water to wine.org. And so I've gotten a lot more used to putting myself out there. So it doesn't feel as scary as it used to. I think you just get used to it after a while. Um, recanting those views was, was really tough. Um, I mean, those were views that I held very dear to my heart, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I traded those views for something better. So I felt like it was a, a worthy trade and I didn't mind taking the, the book off the market. I mean, what really hurt about it was just that it was my dream my whole life to write a book and I finally did it. And then I had to take it off the market. So I was back to square one. I think that was what was hard about it. Yeah, that would be hard. Matthew, any thoughts there? Mm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Paul, where you said that it takes a great deal of humility to admit that what you said was wrong or that you no longer agree with it and to take it off the market. Because I know that there are, I've seen debates in the past where someone, where someone in the debate will say, well, I don't agree with that viewpoint anymore, or there's new data and stuff like that to disprove that. But they'll continue selling the book, even though they don't update it or they don't correct it, you know, they'll, they'll continue to sell it. But, um, so I always think that's kind of strange, but yeah, I think it's great that you decided to take it off and, and to be so candid about 
your faith experience and be willing to take the criticisms from, from others who, you know, that disagree with your faith transition now or who, you know, or even to deal with the criticisms probably from evangelicals like us in the past who really disagreed with the book, you know, so it seems like you probably had criticism on all sides. So it's really commendable that, that you decided to take it off and that you are forthright in your, your views and beliefs now. Yeah, it was actually interesting because I remember one Latter-day Saint that I was talking to about it was trying to encourage me to put the book back on the market at one point saying that, you know, it's still true to some people, (laughs) Um, which I was kind of like, well, I mean, how can, you know, even as a believing Latter-day Saint, I couldn't understand how you could accept a book like that, knowing that the author does not hold that position. It just seemed a little, a little hard to grasp for me. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, It's interesting when I, when I downloaded the Kindle version of your book um, and started reading it, I was going through uh, a a master's degree program in biblical studies at the time. And I remember just thinking on the, on the title of it, that I was going to have, you know, major disagreements. And I did have disagreements, but uh, your writing style was engaging. And it's one of the things that, that kind of drew me to you as a person and, and made me want to get to know you better. So right on. So another question for you, um, if you could tell that younger author of a biblical defense of Mormonism, anything, what would it be? That is a, that is a tough question, Paul. I'd be a little hesitant to tell him anything because I wouldn't want to mess up what was going to happen. So I kind of address that at the, in the prologue of my new book, um, it, it kind of addresses the question, what would you tell yourself if you could go back in time? And the answer that I gave in the prologue is that I would just tell myself to buckle up because it's going to be a bumpy ride, if you remember <laughs> that. Uh, yeah. But I think if I was going to try to, to just tell them anything, I would say, hey, uh, you should really start to study imputed righteousness. I know it's important to you to understand the evangelical position and you cannot truly understand it without understanding forensic righteousness. So I would encourage you to really start digging in and, and learning what that is, knowing that that would be his downfall Mm. in the future. So you would, you would, uh, you would uh, seek to uh, accelerate the downfall. (laughs) I think so. I mean, I know that, that he would find the truth, at some point, especially by the time he wrote that book, he only had four years left. So he was, it was coming pretty quickly. Um, but I, I mean, I do, I do trust God's timing at that, at the same point. And, and looking back, I'm like, everything that happened was absolutely perfect. And, and God knew what he was doing. And, and so if I went back to talk to myself, I mean, I don't even know if I would really talk theology. I'd probably just be like, Hey, uh, start taking steps now so that you don't lose all your hair and you know, stuff like that. Yeah. I, I do like that. I can go back and reference it now that we're doing a podcast together. Um, I can look at, you know, like when we did the episodes on the Trinity and, and you put forth your your questions I, I could go reference the book and, and see how you developed your arguments so i like that yeah i need to get myself a copy of i gave my last copy to uh to an elder out here and i've been kicking myself ever since because i'm like oh i need that just as a i don't know proof i guess <laughs> yeah. you could get yourself an, an autographed copy too yeah, yeah I, I could yeah. actually my my closest <laughs> friend out here has a copy and it's signed he's like i'm not giving you my copy <laughs> 
That'll be four hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, he's like, this is a rare book, dude. I'm like, fine, be that way. Jeez. The autograph says to my future self with love. Michael yes. I, sh- I should have. I really should have. Hi. <laughs> it would be it would be funny if you set up like another you know another printing edition with the publisher, but you only want one copy printed. <laughs> They're like, you know, it's going to cost like five hundred bucks for that one book, right? <laughs> Why did you write "Falling into Grace"? I mean, part of it is I I just love to write. I'd also written that other book, A Biblical Defense of Mormonism, and I'd put it out there publicly. And so I felt like I should write something that was sort of a sequel to that book, something that showed my position now and that explained everything um, so that people would understand the, the transition. But more than anything, I just really felt like it could help uh, some, somebody else out there, uh, maybe somebody else who's following where I've been. And I just, I wanted it to be there. And I really, the biggest thing is I wanted to build a bridge because I know that Latter-day Saints have a really low view of ex-Mormons. And I I wanted to put some understanding in place. I wanted them to be able to see it from an ex-Mormon's point of view and, and see exactly what the thought process was and what happened. But I also wanted a, a Christian to be able to read this and understand what's going on in a Latter-day Saints mind and what the culture's like and and hopefully to build some relationships through this book that can actually go somewhere. Matthew, any follow-ups on that? So do you, do you feel like if, uh, if listeners wanted to know more about kind of your mindset, do you think that book in conjunction with your personal story that you shared, do you think those would kind of basically give them everything they need to know? Or is there anything else that you thought that maybe you should have included in the book or in the podcast that you wish you had? I feel like between the two of them, you do get everything. The The only thing that I didn't put in the book that I had in there originally was that I put in a couple of chapters in the end, basically talking about uh, how I came to believe in imputed righteousness. And then I also had a couple of, I think a couple of chapters about how to witness to Latter-day Saints. And I ended up taking them out because I felt like it, it wasn't, a, it didn't flow as well with a narrative to put those at the end. So I didn't do a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot of doctrine and theology in the book. It's a lot more story and just what was happening around me at the time and a lot more of my thoughts. So that, that's part of the, what I just had to leave out. How is falling into grace similar to and different from a biblical defense of Mormonism? So it's actually very similar to a biblical defense of Mormonism. In fact, if you read my chapter four of falling into grace, it is almost, I mean, probably 80% of it comes from the original prologue of a biblical defense of Mormonism. So I don't know if that's plagiarism since I'm the author of both books. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of the story that, that comes out of a biblical defense of Mormonism. Um, one of the big differences obviously is that I'm no longer promoting the church um, I'm promoting Christianity with my new book. And a biblical defense of Mormonism was extremely doctrinal heavy, and falling into grace is a lot more of a narrative. So they're they're different in that way. But with both books, I tried to be as respectful as possible. I wanted anybody to be able to pick up both books and not get offended and, and throw it away. So I think that's one of the biggest similarities between the two of them. Okay. Good. I'm, I'm going to hold you to 
plagiarism because you have mentioned in another episode that uh, the the author who wrote that book is dead. So I'm gonna I'm gonna claim plagiarism here for <laughs> chapter four. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not really that afraid of him coming back and suing me. He knows I have no money, so he has nothing to gain from that. <laughs> Are there other things it could take, like your cats? Yeah, he, he, you're right. In fact, I plead no contest. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell my wife I said that. It'll be in the show. If she's listening, she'll know. Great. Um, so why did you decide to go less doctrinally heavy with this and more story heavy with this book? And do you... Do you intend later to write a more doctrinal uh, response or refutation to your prior book? Yeah, I've definitely played with the idea a number of times, and it's just been a really hard decision for me to decide not to put the doctrinal ideas into the book. But I think what ultimately decided it for me was that I felt like a narrative just really gave me the the position to speak my mind and, and really just get into the heart and the in the mind of a Latter-day Saint and what it's like leaving and just really show the chaos that ensues from that. And I felt like that was stronger without the theology in this particular book. But I also have my my blog and my website and I write a lot of my pieces on there. And so I felt like I already had uh gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? I already had a place online that people could find my apologetics. And so I didn't necessarily need to put it in the book. That said, I have recently been really toying with the idea of writing a second book geared towards Latter-day Saints called The Vicarious Atonement. So that may be in the works, but I haven't totally decided yet. Yeah, that sounds interesting. What do you hope will be the reception of falling into grace among Latter-day Saints? Right. So my reading partner is actually a Latter-day Saint. And so lucky him, he's been reading this as I've been writing it. And he's been really enjoying it, actually. In fact, he's been kind of my conscience the whole time I've been putting it together. Um, it was actually really his idea in the first place for me to write the the first half of the book kind of from an LDS perspective as much as I could um, and kind of take out a lot of the little negative jabs and things that I had towards the church originally in the book. He said that he felt like it would be stronger if I really showed my audience that I loved the church at the time. And I think he was absolutely right. So I've been really trying to make it a positive read for Latter-day Saints, something that they could read without really having any problems through it. And I think that's the case up until about chapter eight. And, uh, and so I think it's, I think it's really good. Um, I want it to be something that Latter-day Saints can read and that, and that they can enjoy and, and just kind of look at themselves and, and then just rethink the way that they look at ex-Mormons. And I think it'll be a good reception, you know, if they actually pick it up and read it, which is the challenge, of course. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you stole my thunder from the next question by uh, addressing what you edited out. So good, good, good. Uh, Matthew, any follow-ups on that? Mm, no. Yeah, that's pretty good. Right. Yeah, there, there were still some some other things that I ended up editing out, but it was a lot of just the, uh, I guess, the the garbage from the divorce. 
mm-hmm. you know, because I was, I was really trying to be as authentic as possible and give as much detail and as much truth as I could. And I had it in there originally and I decided to take it out because I felt like it was just too negative that it was trying to, you know, it almost seemed like I was just trying to prove something. And I just thought that it, it kind of distracted a little bit. So I took, the, I took some of that stuff out. Um, and then, yeah, some of the, some of the other stuff I mentioned to you. Uh-huh. All right. Good. Matthew, you got some questions? Okay. So this might be a long question, but hopefully we'll get a good discussion going. What was the hardest part of your story to write and why? Okay. I'm not sure which chapter this was exactly, but the chapter, the chapters where I wrote about <clears throat> falling in love with my first wife and then revisiting the divorce I think those were the hardest chapters for me to write. And it was actually Paul earlier on who suggested that I convince my readers that I really loved Lorena. That was my first wife. And I kind of didn't want to, but I was like, yeah, I guess I, I guess I do need to do that. So I went through and, and just really tried to, to tell that story. Um, And then, and then go back into the divorce. And I really just felt myself going back in time and just feeling all those emotions all over again while I was writing that part of the book. So that was definitely the hardest part of the story to write. So were there, were there, hmm, I don't know if I want to, I don't, I want to, I want to be careful, but I was going to say, are there maybe specific experiences or things as you're writing it that were difficult to, to kind of open that part of your life back up and write more about that? Yeah. I mean, specifically falling in love the first time. And for a couple of reasons, one being that I am now in a committed relationship again, and it's like, okay, like I have to be careful that I don't go too far in this writing, you know, where I'm crossing a line in my marriage. And then secondly, also trying to keep that balance of showing that, you know, there really was, there really were experiences. And I do go into some detail and show, uh, actually show myself falling in love for the first time and that it was a, a legitimate feeling and that it was important to me and that this girl was important to me. So, I mean, it kind of had a lot of elements of, of a fictional story too, even though it was true. Cause it's like, I'm building up this, I'm building up this event just to tear it down later, you know, but still, I mean, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah, it does. I, I was kind of, yeah, I'm not really sure. I wasn't really expecting anything. I was just kind of wondering if maybe, yeah. Maybe, you know, sometimes when you think back in your past, you know, specific experiences come to mind and it's, it's difficult to write about, especially when you're going, you know, that's, I think from what you described from your past, that was the hardest part of your time, your life. You know, one of the hardest parts of your life was dealing with your marriage and, and leaving the church and all that. So it's, it's difficult. It's kind of like when you move on, you know, you want to put it in a box and kind of lock it and, and, you know, you have those memories, but you don't really want to open them up again. So to have to kind of force yourself to remember the past is is not easy yeah exactly it's like it's almost easier for me just to remember to think of things the way they are now where it's like oh it's not you know it's a very very formal you know professional relationship because of our son and i I don't like to open up those those parts of my memory but i kind of had to just for writing this but i'm glad it's over let me just put it that way Yeah, I think I think you did a really good job of of finding balance. You know, you mentioned your your reading partner and some of the encouragement he gave you to write from a from a positively LDS perspective, almost to try to put yourself back into 
you know, what it was like for you during the time that you were serving a mission and, and, and whatnot. And so as you describe, you know, your meeting of, of Ed Enox and, and that kind of thing, everything you went through there, it comes off very authentically to me as I was, as I was reading. And I thought, you know, that you really, really found balance there. You mentioned ch- that chapter eight is a place where Latter-day Saints might get a little bit uncomfortable. And, and that that's the chapter where you kind of start going into where, where your belief in Mormonism started to kind of crumble and, and, and what, what the things were that, that caused that. Was that hard to write about in a, in a positive way? I know, I know I've had difficulty conveying to Latter-day Saints that kind of process of deconstruction that I went through in a way that resonates with them. It was extremely difficult. Um, one of the things that I was, I'm really trying to do with falling into grace is to like, and I mentioned this in the prologue too. I said, this isn't a story about leaving Mormonism. It's a story about grace. It's a story about trading something good for something better. And so I've really been trying to keep a positive tone throughout the entire book. That said, there are two chapters that I'm expecting to get some pushback on. One from fellow evangelicals and one from Latter-day Saints. So I felt like chapter five was almost going over the line with being pro-Mormon. This is back in my, you know, writing it from my perspective at the time, but I was just writing about all the spiritual experiences that were happening. And I think it's enough to probably make some of, some evangelicals, you know, question things or or scratch their heads a little like, well, how how do you explain this? You know? And then chapter eight, you know, I, I think if you look at it in the context of all the other chapters before, it softens the blow of that chapter. And, you know, again, I was trying to be authentic, so I couldn't really leave that chapter out. It is a part of the story. And so I had to talk about some of the things that caused me to deconstruct my faith and some of the things that I saw and some of the events in history that I learned about. If I had left them out, I would have been inauthentic. So I felt like I didn't really have a choice, but I was able to really tie it down to mostly just one chapter and then regain the tone of the book afterwards. Yeah. Looking back at, at chapter five, I can see what you're talking about there. there, um, And thinking back to, to reading through that chapter last week, I can definitely, definitely see where you, where you think you might uh, get some pushback from evangelicals there. But, but again, you know, you, there are real experiences that you have as a Latter-day Saint and you feel compelled to associate those experiences of, of God drawing you, of God working in your life to equating to the Latter-day Saint or the LDS church being true. Um, And you don't necessarily have to do that because a lot of times there are experiences that are not in that context, but because you, you are culturally in that context, you make that, you take that step of associating them. Um, but there's, there's, there's some experiences that are, that, that, you know, in and of themselves don't have any, anything to do with the LDS church, but they're real valid spiritual experiences. Absolutely. And I really thought it was important for an evangelical reader to look, be able to look at chapter five and realize what they're fighting against you know that the spiritual warfare is is real too and that there's so many experiences that the latter-day saints have that you know they might not see these things on the surface when you're discussing with a latter-day saint but they're there and we're going to talk about that you know in a future episode here pretty soon but you know there are there are all these things under the surface and and i think it's better to know that they're there than 
than to not realize what is going on in a Latter-day Saints heart. Yeah, good. So I, I do like the way that you've you've written with both audiences in mind. And, you know, you and I talked about as you went through the planning stages for the book, how difficult that would be. But I think, again, I think you you really kind of came in on a balance there. So excellent job. So I had a question that came to my mind and uh, I don't know, maybe it's kind of jumping the gun a little bit, but I was just thinking about the next episode that we'll be recording about the three converts or conversions to Mormonism. So you, you talk in that, in that article that you wrote about three different types of Mormons or three different types of conversions. One that is, now correct me if I'm wrong, but it's doctrinal, social, and spiritual. Correct. So do you feel like the book you've written would appeal to Mormons of all these three different or, and we've also discussed too, like a, a fourth, a fourth one that we'll discuss in the next episode about identity. So do you feel like this book could speak to all four types of Latter-day Saints or do you feel like it's focused, you know, based on your experiences, is it focused on one specific aspect or do you think it could appeal to basically all kinds? Actually, uh, I typically have a really hard time talking to any Mormon who's not a doctrinal Mormon because that's what I was when I was in the church. So that's what I'm used to speaking. But in this book, I really did try to hit all of the bases so that no matter what what position or what mindset they're coming from, there's something in there for them. I talked a lot about the culture and uh, <clears throat> just the experiences, you know, of family and, and the turmoil of what it felt like to leave. And that was definitely geared towards a, a social or cultural Mormon. And then, you know, my whole chapter five, talking about all the experiences that I had, that was really there to relate to a, to, to a spiritual Mormon. Um, and then all the, all the, uh, my chapter about the possible gospel where I, I talk about imputation and how I discovered it in the Book of Mormon and in the temple, all of that was to appeal to a doctrinal Mormon. So yeah, I did try to hit all of those audiences in this book. Okay, and so if they're, let's see, well, you kind of already discussed about who who you might get some, some uh, not negative feedback, what's the word I want to say, maybe some resistance. So so who do, so maybe you've already talked about this if it is just you know just say you can pass but i was thinking about so you know trying to interact with those people who might have resistance to reading it or who might read it and get be off put you know do you have a message for someone who wants to read this book who wants to know about your experience and and who wants to know about your experience in in uh, trusting in christ and imputed righteousness etc but maybe who might be off put by the the content of the book or the way it's written do you have any kind of message for them uh, yeah I would say that it's worth giving it a look into because you're not, you're not going to find a more positively written book about the church from somebody who has left than this one. Um, And if nothing else, even if, if your mind isn't changed, it's going to do two things. One, it's going to help you understand the evangelical mindset and you're going to gain some understanding, but also you're going to, have an idea of, of why somebody might leave the church aside from what the typical answers or uh, assumptions might be to that. So I, I do think that it's still something that's, that's a valuable read regardless. I think the most offensive part of the book is probably the subtitle, but if a, if a Latter-day Saint can get through that, then they can make it through the entire thing. I think, I think the whole thing's pretty LDS friendly actually. Okay. Awesome. Did you, did you have any, anything related to that, Paul, before we go on? No. Okay. That was just, those are just some thoughts that I had while we were discussing it that might be useful because some people, you know, a lot of, a lot of Latter-day Saints are hesitant to read anything that's not pro Latter-day Saint, 
you know, so it's sometimes it's hard just to get them to want to read something outside of their comfort zone. So I thought that that would be helpful to encourage them to want to read it or to at least check it out. You know, sometimes I'll read a book and I, and I get a chapter two in, and I'm like, all right, this isn't for me and then I'll stop. But, you know, I at least try to give, give it a chance. Yeah, um, for sure. In your opinion, what does success for this book look like? Um, I think that success for this would really just be people being able to look at this book, both Latter-day Saints and Evangelicals, and take some of the blinders off and be able to open their minds and kind of accept each other a little bit or understand where they're coming from, at least. Like, I'd like to see not, I don't know if acceptance is the right word, but I'd like to see a lot more understanding and I'd like to see more friendships come out of out of those two groups because a lot of times there's a lot of tension there and I'd like to relieve the tension but ultimately I think what success looks like is uh is you know maybe a questioning Latter-day Saint picking this book up someday and uh and and just using that and and coming to the Lord I think that's what what I think of as success all right awesome all right Michael so this is where you can plug it now officially so where can listeners pick up a copy of Falling Into Grace I guess on Amazon.com. Well, how are you, how are you publishing? Are you do, are you doing like you did before, where you're publishing hard copy and electronic? Or are you just doing electronic? Yeah, I think I am going to do it the same way that I did last time, where I just put it on Amazon and I had a hard copy and also on Kindle, so you can do either way. So how does that work? Does does Amazon do the publishing for that, or you go through a publisher first and then they put it on Amazon? Yeah, so there's there used to be a site that I used for my other book called uh, Create Space, and I guess it got bought by Amazon or something. But I think there's an Amazon publishing that I'm going to use, and basically it's just connected to Amazon already. So what what happens is they they sell the books for me, and they just get a a cut of it, and then I get a cut. But it's still better than traditional publishing for me. The difference is that it's not being publicized, so it's really just it's up to me to to get myself out there and, and talk about the book so that people know it exists basically. Uh, okay. Gotcha. Uh, great. Well, I'm, I haven't read any of it. It's mostly just been Paul. It's been reading some of the chapters. So I'm actually pretty excited to check it out myself. Uh, hopefully chapter four will be there, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to try really hard to put chapter four in the, uh, in the finished product, but if not, it'll definitely be in like the second edition, you know, like, Oh, find out what happened you know, in, on my mission. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm just kidding. It's going to be like a, well, you guys aren't really gamers, are you? I was going to say that like the book is the main game. And then if you want to read about your mission, that's like a DLC. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Coming out next month. I'm going to laugh and pretend like I know what you're talking about. (laughs) I think, I think even better would just be like to like cut it off, like right before I come to Christ. And just be like, if you enjoyed this book, get part two. <laughs> oh, well, you know what you could do? You could set up like a Patreon account and be like, the rest of the book is on Patreon. Okay. I don't know what Patreon is. Uh, it's, where, it's where people can sign up and basically just donate money to people. They can do it like a one-time thing or like a monthly thing. And oh, okay. The, the idea is you can give money to your favorite content creator so that they can make new content. And then usually you have like different tiers, you know, like bronze, gold, platinum oh, kind of thing. Except I could call it like celestial and then terrestrial and celestial. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Yeah, no, people do Patreon accounts for podcasts. I have a friend who does it for his writing. He he has a, a Patreon account and, you, you know, he publishes a story every month. And if you're a subscriber or if you're a patron, then you get to listen to the story or read the story, I guess. 
Huh, that's cool. I was thinking we should do like something like that for the podcast. Like people can become members and if they're like premium gold, then they can like mute me so they can just hear like you guys. <laughs> they get filters for each one of the podcasters. <laughs> yeah. I would want to mute you. I was going to say Matthew, but I didn't want to be rude. <laughs> so you're like halfway between uh, Dr. Pepper and Mr. Piv at this point. Yeah, I'm leaning towards Dr. Pepper, though, because I had that Dr. Pepper today to try to quell Mr. Pibb. I didn't want him coming out too much today. What if they advertise it, though, as Dr. Pepper, and it actually was Mr. Pibb? Oh, my gosh. We're all doomed. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well. So this is, the point, this is the point at which I say, thanks, Fireflies, for listening to this episode of the Outer Brightness Podcast, where we grilled Michael about his new book. Run out and get it from Amazon.com, and... Thanks, Michael, for coming on. Next no, week, we're going to... Oh, I talked right over you there. Sorry about that. Wow. Is this how you treat all your guests? <laughs> it is. It is. I'm like that. All right. Well, thanks for nothing. No, I'm just kidding. No, thanks for letting me come on my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and next week, we're going to be talking to Michael again about an article that he wrote called The Three LDS Conversions, A Primer for the Befuddled. So look forward to that. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Outer Brightness Podcast. We'd like to hear from you. You're invited to visit the Outer Brightness Podcast page on Facebook. Feel free to send a message there with comments or suggestions by clicking send a message at the top of the page, and we would appreciate it if you give the page a like. We also have an Outer Brightness Podcast group on Facebook where you can join and interact with us and others as we discuss the podcast, past episodes, suggestions for future episodes, etc. We would love to hear from you and hope to speak with you soon. Stay bright, fireflies. You can subscribe to the Outer Brightness Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Play, CastBox, Podbean, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, give us a rating or review wherever you listen. Thank you, Fireflies. You can also connect with Michael the Ex-Mormon Apologist at FromWaterToWine.org, where he blogs, and sometimes Paul and Matthew do as well. Music for the Outer Brightness podcast is graciously provided by the talented Brianna Flournoy and by Adams Road. Learn more about Adams Road at www.adamsroadministry.com. In the past, I believed in my own righteousness. And hope that I was worthy of the blood that Jesus shed But now I know that all the works I did were meaningless Compared with Jesus' lonely death on the cross where he bore sin And now I have the righteousness that is my faith in Jesus'